This is Living Forever, Not an Option, a podcast brought to you by Care Dimensions, a provider of hospice, palliative care, and support services in Massachusetts. Your hosts are Lynn Skarmis and Mary Crow. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to our second episode of Living Forever, Not an Option. Our topic today is myths and misconceptions around hospice care. And yes, there's lots of them. This is Lynn and Mary, and remember, we've started this podcast because so many people are afraid to discuss end of life. We want to get everyone comfortable talking about the H word. You must be wondering what the H word is. I know we covered it last episode, but the H word is hospice. So many people don't want to hear the word hospice. Never mind discuss how hospice can help patients and families who are living with an advanced illness. Mary, maybe one of the reasons people don't want to talk about the H word is because they don't understand what hospice is all about. That's why we are talking about myths and misconceptions of hospice. Let's get started with a few misconceptions we hear all the time. Hey, Mary. Hey. Have you ever heard of hospice is a place? Oh, many times, Lynn, many times. So, you know, had mentioned before that hospice is not a place. It's a philosophy of care, that, again, that focuses on care and comfort. It's, it focuses on quality of life. And now, uh, there is a caveat to that, right? Because it can be a place. It sure can. So that's, that's what we want to make sure. But I do need people to understand it is a philosophy of care. It's an approach. So, But it can be a place also in terms of we do have licensed inpatient facilities. So there are types of facilities like that, but not all people right, live, that go to the inpatient facilities to receive their hospice care. At least half of the people that we take care of during the year, actually we care for them in their own home or their private, their apartment or what have you. Other people, they're receiving their care at skilled nursing facilities, assisted livings, it could be group homes, it can be homeless shelters, you name it. Anywhere, hospital, anywhere the person calls home, hospice care can actually care for them. And that's what I was going to say, Mary. You know, what we tell people, it's anywhere a person calls home. Absolutely. That's where hospice can, can provide that service. Absolutely. Yeah. And I had a patient say once, you know, okay, I, I'm, I decide to go on hospice. Okay, when am I leaving? Where am I going? He said, you don't have to go anywhere. You can stay exactly where you want to be, and the care will come to you. So important for these people. Absolutely. Because so many people, if you look at, you know, surveys, if you look at um, studies, People want to die at home if possible. Most so people they want, do. Yeah, yep. they want hospice to come to them. Yeah. And I have to say, when I look at our patients and where they pass, um, it's not at the hospital. Right. You know, some pass, like you said, at our, our hospice houses, but majority of them die at home. Yes, absolutely. And like you said, the majority of people, they do want to die at home, but you know, a lot of people don't do that. But see, that's one of the positive things to hospice is that I believe that people have more of their wish of where they would like to be when they die. That And it can't always be met there depending on what their needs are. But a lot of times it can help people to, again, be in the setting of choice. Very true. Now, Mary, one of, one of um, the misconceptions that I hear a lot is hospice is only for cancer patients. Yeah, you hear that a lot. And again, if you surveyed people and said, you know, what is the diagnosis you think of when you think of hospice, 99 times out of 100, they're going to say cancer. And again, that obviously is a myth and misconception. You know, the, the top three diagnoses for us uh, in last year, it's it was cancer, 
and it's Alzheimer's and related dementia and cardiac. Now, interesting because again, a lot of times people are probably surprised at this Alzheimer's as and dementias as a second diagnosis. You know, it that's going to get more and more. When actually, again, Alzheimer's and related dementias are really up there, really near cancer now. Those are the three primary ones in our top three, but respiratory disease, there's all kind. it really, it's not limited to the diagnosis. Anything that, any illness that is causing a person to be terminal in nature would warrant their being on hospice care. Sometimes people have multiple medical issues which cause them to be terminal in nature. So it does not have to be specific that a person has a particular diagnosis in order to come on service. And, you know, for a person, you know, if they're questioning, um, all they have to do is call, Absolutely. right? Call and ask the question. Yeah. And, the, you know, I think people sometimes think they have to wait till they go in the hospital or wait to talk to their physician, but they could call an organization like Care Dimensions just to talk to someone and say, you know, what services would be right for me? This is what's going on. Absolutely. No, people need to have that type of informational type of conversation, and that, that can be done at any time. And people should be feel empowered to do that. Absolutely. I would hope. Yep. I, I, you know, Lynn, I feel a little more hopeful because, again, I, I think because of the way our medical society or our medical uh, system has been set up is that, you know, people have not, you know, and, and generationally there's a piece to this too in terms of people not feeling like they could kind of advocate or say what they would want. I think that's changing. And, and, you know, we have this baby boomer group who's a very strong, powerful group of consumers. And people know and they want what they want. And, again, I think this is a good thing so that people are just m stronger advocates in this way. And I think that's great. Right. And, and then there's this big thing out there called the Internet. You yep. know, there's so <laughs> much that can be done and so much research that can be done right. that what, you, what you're saying is correct. People come in and they're, they're knowledgeable. Right. And they do their research before. Yep. Um, that's a good we've thing. had people yeah we've had people um, even walk into our offices in Danvers or Waltham and just ask to be able to sit with someone and talk about their loved one or even themselves because they recently got a diagnosis and and are trying to plan and I think that's so powerful and so wonderful that they feel you know that that is you know such an important thing to do which I think it is well listen you know you, you you've talked about and you've mentioned this concept of a good death and part of having a good death is to be pain and symptom free to have dignity and to have control and how much control do people feel when they're at end of life well a lot of people can say well not a lot but I have to tell you people can have control even though again maybe the illness is affecting the the physical being of somebody you people actually have a voice and it needs to be heard I just want to tell you a quick little story about what you were just talking about of people advocating for themselves. I was in the office one day, and this woman walked into the office, and they she had questions about hospice. So I was asked, would I sit with her for a minute? And I it was my pleasure to do that. So we went, and, and she started asking. This woman was around 80 years old, and I, I tell you, she was really remarkable, had some amazing questions. And I said to her, can I ask who you're inquiring about? And she said, myself. Yeah. She said, I went to the doctor a couple weeks back and actually I was giving a, a, given a, a bad prognosis. The doctor feels that I have around four months to live. He, she had a cancer. So um, she said, I said, do you have a support system? And she said, yes, I have grown children who are very involved, but I'm a take charge kind of gal. I've done this stuff my whole life. I always like to have everything in order. The time I spend with my family, I want that to be just, you know, in terms of our enjoying that. And this is the stuff I wanted to do. She said, last week I went and I actually prepaid my own burial. 
Oh, and I have to tell to you, this, one, woman. this woman's amazing. She was amazing. And I have to tell you, so I said, would you like us to be in touch with the physician? She said, absolutely. We called the physician who said, whenever and whatever she needs, I am in full favor of it. This woman came on hospice, and she lived, she, it was at least five, five to six months she actually lived fully. And I mean lived. So she wasn't dying with cancer. She lived fully with cancer, and it was a remarkable experience. Living every day to the fullest. Exactly. And that's what she did. That's right. I love these stories, and that's, I think, our, our experience that, you know, having so many years in hospice that we, br- we can bring to the table some of these great stories that will enlighten people Absolutely. on what hospice is all about. Yeah. And you brought up something um, which, you know, is always a misconception of people that a doctor has to make a referral for hospice. And what yeah. you're saying is, no, they don't. They have to give an order. That's I know correct. that. That's right. But go ahead. I'll let distin- you, yeah. No, but you, that was exactly right, Lynn. So that's the distinction. Anybody can make a referral for hospice or for palliative, but you do need a doctor's order. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So again, it's oftentimes, because see, what happens is people think they have to wait until the health care provider, whether it be the physician or another health care worker, that they call it in and they suggest it. No, again, be your own advocate, and these are the questions you need to be asking. Is it time? We can always depend that the health care worker or the provider is going to bring that up. We need to be our own advocate. We need to ask those questions. And again, people can do that, and then that can be followed up on, and the order can be obtained. And that, yeah, it's very true. And that leads to another, which I hear a lot um, from health care providers as well as families, that once that hospice referral is made and a patient comes on, um, to hospice that they have to give up their primary care physicians or their specialists. Oh, great point. Uh, and again, see, a lot of times people think that, and I'm not going to, not just the, the patient, the individual or the family think that, the physicians often think that. I do so hear that. So that's a concern because the primary care physician is very much a part of the team. They are very much a part of the team, and there will be good communication there, and they will be kept within that loop. So, again, they don't come out or step out of the picture. They're very much a part of that team. And, you know, what I see from a primary from a primary care physician standpoint is these primary care physicians could have been in this patient's life 30, 40, 50 years, you don't just give up your doctor. No, you know, what, absolutely. That would be, again, I'm always looking for that piece, that quality piece. Right, if right. If we're going to provide quality care to these patients until the very end, the primary care, be, being able to be involved still, is so very important absolutely. to that um, patient and that family member. That's, that's right. That's who they've relied on all yep. these years. Yep, and, and, you know, I think that's an important point, though, Lynn, because they do rely on them, and, and I think it is, you know, this, it's very hard for physicians. They, they have established a relationship with this person, and this person is important to them in those ways. But they rely on them, too, for good information in terms of knowing also when it's time, when medical intervention is no longer that route that should be gone, and that there's much more that can be done. So let's get hospice and palliative in. Let's get to that. Hospice and palliative care is on the continuum of care. So let's now let's get that piece of care involved. There's a lot more we can do, right? So a healthcare worker should never utter the words, there's nothing more we can do. There's a lot more we can do. And hospice and palliative care shows that every day. More about care dimensions. Care Dimensions provides compassionate care throughout all stages of an advancing illness. Our expansive services and expert staff 
honor the richness of patients' lives, addressing complex medical issues as well as emotional, spiritual, and family concerns. We treat patients with dignity and respect so they may live as fully as possible. Care Dimensions, one of the nation's first hospice programs and the region's largest, provides services in more than 95 communities in eastern Massachusetts. For more information, please visit our website at www.caredimensions.org or call us at 888-283-1722. You know, another, another question or another myth that we find is that, you know, hospice only lasts for six months. Um, we see a lot of patients that might only be on hospice for a day or two, and then we see patients that are on for 120 days, or they're on for, you know, a lot longer than oh, six yeah. months. Mary, how, how yeah. is, you know, tell me, how's that possible? Absolutely. So, you know, people get stuck on the six-month piece, so they think, and, and again, I'm not just talking about patient family, I'm talking about physicians as well, or the healthcare workers. So basically how it's written in the Medicare conditions of participation, and, and again, a person needs to be terminal in nature, and also it is... The, it's felt that they have six months or less to live. So how it's written is actually the physician, and not just one, but two, the primary care physician and also the, the, the medical director of hospice, given the person's diagnosis and the usual course of that disease, would they be surprised if they didn't live beyond a six-month period of time? That's really what they're certifying. Because a lot of times, again, you'll talk to a doctor and you'll talk about, you know, a person coming on hospice and they'll say, no, 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 I can't say this less than six months. And I have to tell you, in my 35 years, it's not uncommon that I've seen the person then dies two or three weeks later. That's not a great thing. So again, what you know, it's important that we kind of have that perspective. There is no negative repercussion to the, to the physician. Again, if in their best, you know, guesstimate in terms of the diagnosis and what that usual course would be, saying again, certifying that that person, they wouldn't be surprised if they didn't live beyond that six month period. So it's important to understand that people do live beyond six months on hospice. There are people that have been on hospice even for a year, and it's not that the hospice is doing anything inappropriately. People, they, their journey, how they die and the journey in that course is so individualized. So a person can be progressing, at diff they progress at different rates or decline at different rates, I should say. So again, what happens on this is, uh, the patient is looked at. If they, if they meet the cr criteria for hospice, what happens is they get approved for a 90-day stay. On, after the 90 days, the physician and the team look again. Are they still meeting criteria? If so, they're approved for a second 90 days. After that second 90-day period, the same thing happens. The physician and the team are looking. Is the person still meeting criteria? If so, they get approved for 60 days. So there's two initial 90-day periods and an unlimited number of 60-day periods after that. Those are called recertification periods. So again, you can see it's looked at very closely to see is a person still meeting criteria to stay on hospice. Now, listen, people can come off hospice for a number of reasons. They can graduate. So, you know, people can be hospice graduates. They can. We get people um, quite, you know, not quite often that stabilize. Yes. And what you're saying, we like to use the word graduate because they, they're stabilized and they come off. Um, and that's, you know, a simple process to do. They, you know, they sign a form and they come off and they go right back to, you know, their right. Medicare benefit or, you know, they, or whatever hospice, whatever their insurance they have. Um, but the great part is if 
something happens and right. they, they show a decline over the next month or two or, you know, could be six months later if there's a decline and they need hospice yeah. again, they can come back on service. Right. So and there's no time period there in is between none. there. So it could be a week later. And you know what? Because I have to tell you, Lynn, too, I've seen that what's keeping that person actually at the level that they are is the hospice involvement. So it, there's no time period in between that, that they have to wait. If they then are now meeting criteria again, they can come back on service as long as they're meeting that criteria. So, you know, I have to tell you the other reason, and people can come off hospice is because they can choose to. I've got to tell you, in all my years, I don't see that a lot. Usually what I see when people do come on to service, you know, a lot of times, sometimes it's they wait, they wait, no, it's too soon, it's too soon, it's too soon. And the old adage, it's always too soon before it's too late. When they finally come on, what I hear more times than not is wish we had done it sooner. Yes, I see that on a, on a lot of the letters that are sent to us. Mm-hmm. You know, we did a great job, but I wish we had, you know, we had signed on sooner. Absolutely. Um, and at that point, you know, there's nothing you can do, but that's why this show and, you know, is so important so we right. can educate people on the benefits. Right. And don't be afraid. Exactly. Of, it, you know, choosing. Exactly. Hospice. Yeah. Yep. Well, you know, we talk about... Um, you know, hospice includes so you know so many services, and you know we do um, complementary therapies. We do um, you know nursing. We have physicians on staff, and uh, sometimes I think people think a hospice is very expensive. You know that yep. they're going to come on and it's going to cost them. Yep. Again, another misconception. Absolutely. You're bringing up a couple of very important things in this piece. So what what you are talking about in one hand is you're talking about that there's. doctors and nurses and social workers and chaplains and there are hospice aides and there are volunteers and there are bereavement counselors there's a whole team of people and as I've talked about before the reason why there's this wonderful interdisciplinary team is because you're tending to a person's spirit mind and body so it's a whole person taking care of them there's so many things that come up for that person there's so many you know parts to this human being so we need to make sure that we're tending to all of those so then you also brought up complementary therapies i'm going to get to this piece on the cost in a second but i just want to pick mm-hmm. these apart because sure. you're just bringing up so much good information so you're bringing up this piece about complementary therapies complementary therapies are exactly what they're called they're a complement to the what what is um, the you know uh, the the general or or traditional medicine right that's being provided, the reason why now tr- complementary therapies are things like Reiki, massage, music therapy. It could be pet therapy, aromatherapy, a number of different things. Right now, the thing that we need to understand about this too is. Not all hospices have complementary therapies. Very true. Right. And, and so good, that's because not all hospices are alike. Another that's myth. right. <laughs> yes, yes. Go ahead. Yeah. But why do, and why are complementary therapies not provided by other hospices? Because it's too costly for there them to is. do it. There yeah. it is. Right. But we choose as a nonprofit organization to have a wealth of complementary therapies at right. our patients and families, you know, disposable. That's disposal. right. Yeah. And it doesn't it make sense, Lynn? If something, if something, spirit, show, mind, and body, yeah. it helps. And if people, yes. know, if you show that this it promotes well-being, why would you not have that? Why should you not have that? Right. So again, it, this is something that we feel is very important in terms of caring for that whole person. So let's talk about expense too. All righty. So listen, hospice is a covered service. So a person is not getting a bill. 
So You're saying covered from an, an it's insurance? It's covered under insurance, insurance yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? So again, it's covered under Medicare. It's covered under private insurances. It's covered Medicaid. under Medicaid. Yep. Absolutely. Right? So this is a covered service. Like I said, people think they're going to be getting a bill. They can't afford it. You're not going to get a bill. What does it cover? It covers all of the team visits. It covers any medication pertaining to the terminal illness. It covers any equipment needs. So right. your hospital bed, your it, whatever, All of that, depending yeah. on what the terminal illness is and yeah. what the needs are, it would cover your commode, your yes. your, your beds, yep. your yep. whatever's Mattress, needed. Mattress, whatever it is, you betcha. That's all covered. So that's a wonderful thing. It covers all that. It covers that the bereavement follow-up, right? It covers all of those things. So it is, it is a covered service. That's wonderful. So people don't have to worry about that expense piece. Yeah, it's very important because... Nowadays, everybody knows, you know, you hear about it all the time. Some people have to choose between heating their house and right. buying their medications or putting food on the table and buying their medications. So yes. it's, you know, it's, in, it's an important piece that people know that they'll get their medications and their durable medical equipment and their team, you know, to help them during this, this trying, you know, this time that, you know, is, is coming up to their passing and their, right. and their you know, yep. their death. Absolutely. Uh, this is one of my favorites because um, it makes me a little cuckoo. But hospice <laughs> involvement hastens death. Ooh. Oh, how many oh times do we hear that, Mary? Well, no, there's another if I had oh. a nickel. If you right. had a nickel is right. So, so let's, I'd be very rich. <laughs> <laughs> so let's look at this. So why is it, right? And I have people say to me all the time, no, no, see, see, we, you know, hospice came in and two days later my loved one died. Well, that's because you basically waited until the person was actively dying, and they were go they were going to die Tuesdays later, and that's when people bring it on. Like I said, this this all adage of it's always too soon before it's too late. People they look at hospice as that it's for people that are in their last days, weeks, or hours of life. It is so much more than that, and and I'm going to tell you it. I really love when hospice gets involved so much sooner because we talked about the spirit, mind, and body caring for the whole person. You need time to be able to do all that needs to be done in this precious time of life. So, but people wait so long and then they think, see, we brought in hospice and the person died. It's not that. It's because people waited too long to get them involved. And listen, hospice can get involved then, but to me, that's more crisis intervention. You know, when you're getting people in those last hours or days of life, it's still, they're going to get good quality end of life care, but it, it, you just can do so much more for the individual and the family system sooner. Here's another piece to that. So people hear hospice and they think of, oh my gosh, morphine, methadone, right? Yep, you hear, oh, right. you're going to snow my loved one, right? Or you, they're going to become a drug addict. I hear this, Lynn. Oh. I hear this so many times. Now here's the reality of that. First of all, many people die in a very uncomplicated way. Okay, so just because a person is on hospice, it doesn't mean that they are get, they they might not need to be on these medications. Why these medications are used is because they're very effective. They uh, they really attack many receptor sites, so they're very good use of pain. The hospice motto is start low and go slow. So people are on that are on medication are on very low doses of this medication just to keep that person from having breakthrough pain. 
This is so important. I just got done talking, Lynn, about, and, and you and I were talking earlier about, there is so much to do at this time of life, you know, as in this dying process. And I'll tell you, if a person is suffering from pain and other symptoms, and, and they have all of this going on, how can they tend to this other stuff when they're in excruciating pain? You can't, you can't. You can't even think about this stuff. Right. You're in right? bed. You're, you're in pain. Your family members are watching you suffer. Absolutely. It, there's you no quality no. there. So no. Again, quality. So, you, you know, like I said, so this medication is really to help keep that breakthrough pain away. The way pain medication, and Dave Cicely Saunders was critical in this, too, in terms of um, this medication piece. It used to be that like you'd wait until somebody was in excruciating pain, and then you'd medicate. And then you'd wait again until they were in excruciating pain. Wow, that's, you know, you're chasing pain's tail and you never got a person under control. That's not quality of life. But for this keeping things at bay, and again, so the the, the point of this is people are not over-medicating. They're not doing that. If a, When the person dies, it's not because of excessive medication. It's because the disease process was there and that that's really why they died. There are people walking around in society functioning and working that are on higher doses of these pain medications than are that are on hospice care, and that's the reality. One other thing I'm going to say about this, too, they have done extensive studies on this. People on hospice care live longer. That's what I keep reading, and we're going to have longer. we're going to do a whole episode around yep. why sooner is better. Yes. and one of the pieces is you do lots of studies out there that says people live longer on hospice, and I think it's because their symptoms are in control. That's a huge piece to it. Uh, that was that was the number and, one reason, yep. Lynn. And that you know the the care that we provide. That was the number two. Yep, that's exactly right. The the extra TLC and pain and symptoms are well managed. So don't worry, we will touch upon that. We were actually yeah. we're going to dedicate a whole episode um, to that um, topic because I think it's so important. Great. I know we're coming down to our um, the end of this episode, but there's one last, and let's just touch upon it, and then we can you know do um, more around this episode, um, more around this question later at a, on another episode. But hospice care ends when the patient dies. Ah. I think that's a a really important one to just bring up, and then we'll we'll do more on it later, Mary. Yeah, you know, again, you know, one of the things is that you know, obviously, when a patient dies, there are loved ones there that need support. So one of the the it's again one of the Medicare conditions of participation is that a person receive at least thirteen months of bereavement support after the person has died. Now. Why is it 13 months? Now, some people would say, well, that's what, that's a grief period, like a year and you should be over it. Well, no, that's not true either. So, um, you know, grief is uh, everybody's journey, just as the, the, the journey through one's death is individualized, so is one's grief journey. So again, the, it, what the 13 months does is it gets three po- people through the, the first, the, the holidays, the anniversary, the anniversary date, all the Christmas. that, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Now, listen, you're going to need to have, and you're going to need further support beyond that 13 months. Oh, it people doesn't just can stop get it. at no, that 13 months. they so can I, get yeah. it as long as they need it. Right. Some people might say after a few months, like, I'm, I'm good. Done. I'm done. Individualized. Good. Yeah, very individualized. Just like our care for every patient is individualized, yeah. the um, the support we give from yeah. a bereavement standpoint yep. is individualized. And maybe you just want to say one more thing, Lynn, about that with the Bertillon Center, because, again, um, this is unique. Yeah, um, Care Dimensions has the only freestanding um, grief and Bereavement Center in Massachusetts, and it's called the Bertillon Center for Grief and Healing. We have wonderful um, counselors there, even a couple of child life, child life therapists there um, that we offer group sessions. We offer individual counseling. Mm-hmm. Um, a well, and it's they have a wealth of information for our um, 
for our patients and families and the community. So um, we'll definitely make sure we put time aside on a, on an episode Excellent. to cover um, that portion because I think when you when we talked about we, us changing our name to Care Dimensions and our tagline being hospice, palliative care, and support services, that's that support services from mm-hmm. a bereavement, a grief and bereavement Absolutely. standpoint um, that you know we need to really educate people on. Definitely. So thanks for bringing that up, Mary. You that bet. was important. Thank you. Okay, so again, um, each episode I'm going to try to share a testimonial um, that Care Dimensions received from a grateful family. I believe today's testimonial truly gets to the heart of what we do each and every day. So here we go. This one just this one came in just a short while ago. Um, it starts, there are not enough words to express my deep gratitude for the care you and your team provided for my mother. I would also like to thank you and the team for helping me personally during those difficult times. It meant a lot to me. I could not have gotten through these without you. Mom's at peace now. It's caring professionals like you and the hospice team that make a difference. And I'm always going to share these with you because I think they're so important for you to, you know, to hear about. It's a, it's a just a beautiful thing, and again, it's important to know the impact that this has on people. Yeah. So that was that was the end. That's the end of our second episode. We're already done two podcasts, Mary. That's wow. the end of our second episode. <laughs> um, we're having a lot of fun doing these. I hope everybody is um, learning as we go and. Um, sends us some great questions. Thanks so much for listening. We hope you're finding these podcasts informative. Thanks for listening to Living Forever, Not an Option with Lynn Skarmis and Mary Crow. To learn more about Care Dimensions, please visit our website at www. .caredimensions.org or check out our podcast website at www.caredimensions.org backslash podcast. We would love to hear from you with questions or comments. Please feel free to email us at podcast at caredimensions.org and of course you can always call our office at any time. The number is 888-287-1255. Please join us for our next episode Who's driving the bus? Taking charge of your health care wishes.